Hey everyone, this is Lynn Bartim, and you are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. or on the web at seu.edu slash apex. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. All right. Well, welcome in, everyone. It is the end of February here at SUU, and we are talking about art today. It's almost spring break, and it snowed like five inches or something last couple of days. It's been really cold. But we are talking about art, and I am joined by a young, up-and-coming, awesome artist. Welcome in, Aisha. Thank you so much. Aisha, will we start by um, talking a little bit about who you are, what you do? Um, So can you start by telling us a little bit about where you are, where do you live, what do you do? Tell us about yourself. Yeah, so I'm just finishing up my undergraduate at BYU, um, and I'm from Provo, so I didn't go too far to start school, but um, I'm an artist. I also have minors in sociology and Africana studies, and that has really inspired my art. Um, I also have a mixed race and mixed nationality background. And so all of those things influence my work. Yeah, I mean, we've been having such great conversations about identity and building communities and all that. I want to get into all of that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that um, also is just amazing about you is that you are already a represented artist um, Mm -hmm. at, you know, and you're still in school, which is so amazing. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of your recent shows and where you have relationships with galleries. Yeah, so I'm represented by Modern West in Salt Lake, and they're really fantastic. They represent a lot of um, very professional and fantastic artists, but then they also have taken on more emerging artists like me, and um, it's been an incredible experience. And I've had shows up in Salt Lake through them, but also at the Finch Lane Gallery back in um, October. So it's been really fantastic to kind of move away from just staying in Provo and kind of moving up um, to Salt Lake a bit. And yeah. When you work with the galleries uh, and and they start looking at your work or start engaging in a dialogue with you, what are some of the things that they say to you? What, what, are, what are they drawn to in your work? Do you get a th- sense from them of that? Yeah, I think they were drawn to my work for the subject matter mostly. They wanted to have an artist that was engaging with the kind of themes I was. So I think it worked out that we both um, kind of wanted and needed each other. And um, that's been really fantastic being with a gallery that I know really values the subject matters that I work with because um, I know that that isn't always the case. Maybe other galleries might be more focused on um selling work as quickly as possible, whereas this gallery is really awesome at giving me opportunities to engage with community a lot more, um, have artist talks, and really talk about the ideas behind the work. Yeah, what have those artist talks, artist talks been like? Because uh, it's a gallery up in Salt Lake, and you're here talking about these uh, pretty intense subjects, which are awesome to get into conversation with. But what have those, how, how have those developed? 
Um, yeah, I think that's kind of new for me. I'm just still trying to figure out how how to do that. I get so nervous before it. But um, really, yeah. <laughs> but back in October, I was able to talk about um, all the research that went into um, my final capstone project and the interviews that I was able to have with people of mixed race and just their experiences. So I was able to talk about um, history and sociology and also just the specific people that I talked to and um, they gave me an hour and they gave me a mic and I had plenty to say on the subject while also going through the art pieces so yeah. and were they free-form conversations or were there questions or um, I tried to give time for questions at the end but they really let me kind of speak and share and um, yeah it was really great well, I want to let you do that too. So we'll get into that. But also before we leave where your work is, we want to also say for anybody listening live that they can see Aisha's work in person right now um, at SUMA at our Southern Utah Museum of Art um, and as part of the Grace A. Tanner Gallery. And uh, do, you, do you remind me if it just opened and then it'll be up until yeah, March? Yeah, it's February 19th to March 19th. So, so all this month and you can go to SUMA anytime and check out these works that we're going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. So awesome. And do you have a website that you'd like to share with everyone? Yeah, it's really easy. My name is just Aisha Lehman and that's it. AishaLehman.com. And for those who might not know, Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N-N. Perfect. Okay. AishaLehman.com. Awesome. Okay. Let's get into talking about the work and how you came to some of these topics. Um, so you are a, a young person doing art for fun at home and also growing up in a mixed race household. And how do those two things converge? How, how do you make that connection? Because I mean, you're living your life as who you are in your identity. And how do you start bringing that into the art? Yeah, I think it really started with me adding my minors and adding sociology and Africana studies because I was able to engage with the subject matter in a way that felt um, informed by research and scholarship. Um, I don't know that I really trusted my own opinion on mm. the things and also didn't know how to think about it myself. So once I really started reading and learning more and taking classes, that really gave me a vocabulary to to talk about um, things like race and um, identity and um, just dynamics in our society. How, how, how would you describe your work before those classes? Like, and you showed some of it this morning, mm -hmm. but how would you art describe it? I think I liked working with color, pattern, and figure, but that was all I knew, you know? And so it, afterwards, it was me kind of repurposing those same symbols and visual cues and recognizing, you know, how can I turn this person as a representative of a person in society? And how can I use patterns that are actually informed by someone's culture? So those kinds of things. Cool. So you take these classes in college, which is awesome. You're just, why did you start taking them? I mean, were you just like, oh, I want to take, <laughs> I'm interested in identity and race and I want to take this class or what drew you to branch out into the areas of sociology and these kinds of studies? Yeah, I found myself um, liking my art classes, but not really feeling completely fulfilled in them. I felt like I was missing something and wanted to learn more about the world. Um, it kind of started off with an international development class that I took, and I really oh. thought for a second there I wanted to be a social worker. Um, thankfully for me, though, BYU doesn't have a social work program. So I ended up going more the sociology route and it turned out sociology was for me and um, it's still pretty theoretical. So maybe it's a bit more similar to art in that way. But 
um, I kind of just fell in love and I started adding as many classes as I could from various departments, actually, um, all on um, topics of race, especially um, African-American history and identity. Um, So, yeah, I think I was yearning for something, didn't know what it was, but I ended up finding it there. That's great. Oh, my gosh. And it seems like you found some uh, great scholarly pursuits in that as well. Were you always I know you talked about being a reader, were you always like a voracious reader? Or is that something that developed as this passion turned on? Yeah, I think I think I kind of stopped reading after high school, you know, and then suddenly I found a subject matter that I really cared about. I think it helps too when you see um, other grad students or professors that you just want to be more like. And I think um, seeing how well read they were and how much they knew and how much um, I still needed to learn really pushed me to um, start reading more. Well, that's a great like sense of drive, you know, but I don't know that everybody has that. Is that something that you feel like you kind of always had? Oh, I don't know. I've, I've always liked school and been a teacher's pet, so maybe it's not for everyone. But I have to say, <laughs> I think that there's incredible documentaries and podcasts and yeah. um, just ways to get information, even if you can't um, go to school if you're um, – unable to sit down and read for those long periods of times, I think there's a lot of ways to gain information. So you don't have to like reading. (laughs) Cool. So you get involved in these studies and you're just turned on by it. And so then what's sort of the first um, work in art that you do that's really newly informed by these lenses? Um, I think... It's hard to pinpoint which one, but I think um, it took me a good year since my first class in um, race and ethnicity to really feel like I had um, somewhat of a footing to be able to even start going into those concepts because I wanted to do it appropriately. And I did a series called um, The Color Line, and I was just looking at how um, mixed race people um, just function and identify around a system where – in, you know, in the U.S. where we are often divided between black and white. And I wanted to see how, um, yeah, it makes people fit within that. Mm. How, how has your own experience been uh, particularly related to that? Do you, when you sort of go along thinking about the color line, um, is that something that felt uh, very uh comfortable to you or normal to you? Or is that something that you didn't experience and were like, wow, this is, Um, I'm really learning about this experience. I think it's definitely a bit of both, you know. I think everyone can kind of recognize to a certain extent how they might have been separated from other races or cultures because of just divisions in our country where we live and things like that. Um, And I think I can relate on that level. I grew up in a predominantly white area, and I found myself not necessarily connecting um, to aspects of my ancestry or culture in the way that maybe I felt like I should. Um, But at the same time, I felt like I also was learning about um, how that experience, how um, changes based on your melanin and your skin color. And Mm -hmm. so that was really interesting for me learning how, you know, as someone like me who is quite light skinned and I can pass as a white person, it's a bit easier for me to just blend into the the white spaces. Mm -hmm. Whereas a mixed person who has um, darker skin than me has a lot harder time to be treated as a normal person in that space. Yeah, right. 
So that was called uh, the color line. And um, then what is the next group of art or the next series that you started working on? Um, I was started working with um, a sociologist and demographer and looking at um, just where mixed race households live and where they're able to move to depending on their socioeconomic status and those kinds of things. And I started making art about that and reacting to um, historical housing segregation and how that continues today to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And you did a lot of census study around that, right? What kinds of things did you find that surprised you, if if anything? Yeah. Oh, gosh, I learned so much. First of all, yeah, you bring up a good point about the census. I think it was interesting learning about how the census over time has to had to really change um, to encompass the diversity in our country, and it still has a hard time doing that. And so it's interesting seeing how mixed-race people haven't always been um, properly counted because of that. Um, and even to this day, even though things are a lot more inclusive in the way that we collect data, um, I realize that a lot of people kind of fall under the radar. And another interesting thing that I learned is that um, – we are in a lot of ways just as segregated as, as we were in the past. It's mm. mixed race households that often make us think that we're a little more blended than we are, but we're actually quite divided. Yeah. And do you see from your research that it's it's just the same now as maybe it was? It, it hasn't improved, really. Um, there are some improvements, of course, you know, because back in the day, you literally couldn't marry someone of a different race. And um, there were often very violent reactions to, say, a black family moving into a white neighborhood. Um, Even though things aren't maybe as overt and violent as in the past, even though there are definitely exceptions to this day, Mm -hmm. um, I think that the... um, there's a lot more coded language, um, yeah. and there's a lot of ways that people can work around being inclusive and including people from different groups into their neighborhoods because of different codes for their neighborhood or um, school systems or the way that we um, redline around certain school districts or voting districts. Those kinds of things really change and um, change who has what power, and it really dictates who lives where. Right. Cool. Well, that's mm-hmm. awesome. A great background. And we're going to get into some of the some of the newer pieces and newer things that you're working on and talk about some of the methods and everything like that. But first, as always, I have a song. I have been listening to, I don't know, I guess a lot of alternative female artists uh, and just trying to find some new ones, at least new to me. Um, and this song is called On Sight. And it's Free Nationals, J.I.D. and Kaja Bonet are all included in this. Check it out. You're listening to KSUU Thunder 
time I see you, babe, it, it really hurts, hurts me. Every time you go, I, I think you're perfect. But you won't believe me if I said it to the world. Would you let everybody know? How would you get in word? That maybe you feel the way I do. Maybe you don't, lady. I've been on the move. And it feel like an episode from a show. I don't really know who's the leading role. But rolling with a leader isn't easy. Just believe me. On God, I can see it. Oh, be send me a piece to exercise my demon. Maybe a shrink. I'll probably get a blink of what I'm thinking. I've been smoking. I've been drinking in the open. You can see me. If you saw me, tell me, have you seen her? I really need her. I've only got a two-seater. My car don't go on reverse. Don't want to leave her. Never see her. If I don't, the heart's linger. Steve her. She hurt me. He hurt Right. Well, welcome back. They have like a cool phone uh, ring at the end of that. And so you're hearing that as the background as we get started. This is Lynn Vartan. You're listening to the Apex Hour KSU Youth under 91.1. I am joined with artist Aisha Lehman, and we are talking about all of the art that she's been creating in the last few years. And I'd love to continue that conversation. Welcome back, Aisha. Thank you. Okay, so one of the series is the capstone work that you've done, which um, goes, for of course, has the images, but also goes beyond that in that you have done interviews with all of your subjects. Mm-hmm. Talk about that body of work. Yeah, so I think we kind of talked about it before. I was looking at a lot of these larger, broader issues, and I realized that I wanted to focus a little more on the individual. Um, and so I wanted to talk to people whose parents came from two different ethnic or racial backgrounds and ask them more about their experiences. Um, and yeah, it was a very enlightening experience for me and um, really fulfilling. Tell me more about the conversations. What kinds of things uh, were you hearing? Were... were were there any uh, threads that were similar or was every story completely unique? I mean, every story is completely mm-hmm. unique, of course, but um, did you find common themes? Tell me more about what you found out. Yeah. Well, first of all, I realized how different everyone was, you know, even though technically they would have maybe been under the same racial or ethnic category, they were actually extremely different, which I think is a good lesson on, you know, just how diverse everyone is and different everyone is from one another. But there were definitely commonalities. Um, I, For the most part, I found that people really um, had a lot of positive things to say about their mixed identity. They were very grateful for the merging of two cultures, and they thought they were just grateful for that. 
Um, but they also discussed how that becomes a little more messy. Being mixed becomes messy when you kind of look at how they're treated in um, their community or um, in society um, where maybe they're um, isolated or not included in a certain group because they never quite belong, whether that's in a white community or in a community of color. Um, also, sometimes people felt detached from their own family history because maybe they lived in a completely different continent from their grandparents and or maybe they they didn't speak Spanish in the home growing up and so they felt like this disconnect from um, that culture so I think there's a lot of interesting dynamics that you know we see growing up in a maybe in a predominantly white community mm -hmm. as a mixed person it, it can be difficult at times and were your subjects all from kind of the general same area in northern Utah that's right yeah I really focused on people that were kind of in Utah County around. So yeah. Mm. And that was great to hear. Yeah. Cause they all came from very different backgrounds, but they could all relate on the fact that they had grown up in a similar um, mm -hmm. environment. Yeah. And then, and then talk about the work itself. I know that there's, um, there are some elements that are the same, like the chairs, for example, mm -hmm. if you could talk about the choice of chairs in it and, and a little bit about that, and then talk about some of the patterns that you've chosen and why. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're large portraits. I don't know that I want to work that large in the future because it was quite the project, but um, they're almost life size about, and, um, they read as paintings, but they're actually all mixed media, um, collaging, printmaking, things like that, because I wanted to embody that idea of mixedness. Um, and all of the figures are seated in a chair or next to a chair. And I had each of them, um, identify a chair that was, um, significant to them and their, um, childhood and experience growing up. Um, and yeah, like you alluded to, there's a lot of bold patterns and, um, a lot of collaging and almost like quilting in that sense. And, um, all of those were sourced from, um, patterns that, um, the interviewee gave to me. Yeah. And how did you decide on the materials that you wanted to use? Um, how did, yeah. How did you come to some of those decisions? Um, yeah, I like I like making a lot of my own tissue paper just so that it's just the just the right hue and color that I need it to be um, to fit. But I also liked collaging and sourcing um, from kind of found material. So, for example, um, in one piece, there's um, strips of um, uh, telephone book paper um, along the panel. And one thing that that person had talked about in their interview was that. Um, their last name is Martinez and everyone asks them, oh, are you related to so-and-so Martinez? And he just always laughs because um, people don't realize how many Martinez's there are in the phone book. And um, it just, for him, was a story that really embodied um, just how people really lump people together often. And um, so there are elements like that where I kind of snuck in these little things that you can only notice when you look up close. Cool. Well, that brings me to talking about the creative process and or actually the art making process. So when you're lurging, working on these large body of works, like what what is a day like in that? Like, where do you work? How how what does the work day look like for you in that way? 
Yeah, so like I said, I'm still in school, so I'd say that's taking up most of my day. But as far as sitting down to actually do work, um, I often have to think a lot and for a long time beforehand, and I do a lot of brainstorming and sketching, um, and it takes a while for me to get a plan in place. But once that's in place, um, I honestly could work anywhere, and I often do. Um, so I'll find myself on campus. I used to have a studio space on campus, but unfortunately don't anymore. Um, also, I love printmaking, so I kind of depend on those facilities and labs. So, yeah. So in the pre-work, the thinking and the sketching, do you do you have like a favorite kind of sketchbook or do you have a favorite place? Do you have to kind of go away for a few hours at a time? What What's that part of the process look like? Yeah, I think any time that I'm just walking somewhere, I try to just like tune out and just think about a certain like visual um problem that I'm trying to solve or a concept that I'm trying to encapsulate. So I use a lot of time walking for that. I also think if there's ever a really, really big project that I'm trying to um, land, I think hiking and um, running honestly is a really good time for me to not do anything. I think we live in an age where it's really hard to not just sit there and then get on your phone instantly. And so those are activities where I'm forced to not do that and just forced to think and be with myself. So yeah, which begs the other question as as an artist um in today's world you know how how dependent are you on your phone and is that something that you're constantly fighting because i mean our entire experience can be curated for us if we spend too much time there and so you know what's your relationship with that like do you do you let it affect your your thoughts and your processes or do you try to divorce from that what's that like for you yeah um i've i actually had to recently turn off notifications on instagram because it was just distracting me from my homework too much but in general i find um i really like using my phone um as a way to help me with my work um like it sounds cheesy, but I really like Pinterest as a tool to organize um, articles and artists that I'm looking at. Um, and I'll often do that on my phone. Um, but other than that, I really try to um, limit that time, but it's very hard to, because yeah. like you said, it, it kind of starts um, curating the way that you think when really you should be open-minded and be reading mm-hmm. and seeing a lot more sources. Yeah. Do you have a favorite kind of sketchbook? Oh, no, I don't know. I just I like I like the thrill of buying a new one. And I never really look at the brand. I just like the cover. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I love it. That's awesome. Cool. Um, Okay, so you have another body of work um, that we we looked at some today. And that is, uh, uh, and I I can't remember the title of it, but with the black and white shirts the take on Mm -hmm. take off. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that body of work? Yeah, so yeah, exactly. Like you said, it's called um, Ausziehen, unseen, which is just two German words for the verb to take on and to take off. And um, there I wanted to loosen it up a little bit more. And there's screen prints um, there. I was just thinking about um, the privileges of being able to take off one's identity and um, kind of be fluid in spaces and just um, be able to adapt on where one is. But also um, as an act to be able to to look at oneself and look at where someone comes from and, and just think more about who you are and why you are the way you are. Mm-hmm. Cool. And can you describe what the work is for anybody who might not be able to see it right now? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, there they're um, hand-dyed organic paper because um, I wanted to kind of 
yeah, just play around with that background hue. And they're all very organic, almost skin tones. Yeah. How did you do the hand dyeing process? Um, yeah, I had to play around with it. I had to figure out which materials worked. So I ended up using things like um, beets and walnuts and... Um, oh, natu- all natural. Yeah, I, I wanted it to really speak to the subject matter, right? Because on the surface level, I was speaking to more of as race as a, a man-made construct. But then I think... There's that organic factor of it, you know, there's the the family stories, there's the culture and those kinds of things. And so I wanted the paper itself and also the floral backgrounds to speak to that. Mm. So let me ask you this then, um, th- as I'm learning more and more about your work, like, for example, that I hadn't heard until just now, you know, <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's so cool. How important is it to you for people to see your work the way you see it? I know for some artists, mm-hmm. they like, I, they want them to, you know, they want it. This is what it's intended. This is, but you have all this hidden stuff mm-hmm. in there. And, and yeah, how important is it for people to know that to you? Honestly, I kind of wish I could just tell everyone everything, but I have a lot of um, professors that help me to like, just like tone it down a little bit and allow there to be ambiguity. Cause I mean, that's, that's art, right? In so many different ways. You can find that in literature as well. Like the more um, ambiguous you allow something to be, the more um, like the viewer can bring added elements into the work so i think fascinating (laughs) it's something that i try to do because exactly like you said i do want to dictate and tell people exactly what to see but i try not to but so people have advised you to that yeah (laughs) that's very interesting i mean i wonder i wonder about that you know Mm -hmm. because like i love hearing those like (laughs) inside details and stuff and then when I look at those and I go like oh my gosh that was like walnuts and beets made those made those colors you know that's really fascinating so yeah and especially with the subject matter I think it's um I I I I love all that that backstory Mm -hmm. that goes into it but I can see where you know other people you know are are sort of encouraging that ambiguity. That's interesting. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's a hard balance. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's fascinating. Okay, cool. So, okay, the 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 paper themselves, the paper itself is that hand dyed and then what else is on it for anybody who might not be able to see the work? Yeah, for sure. So, kind of like you alluded to, there there're two rows of just figures um removing a shirt and hanging it up and just examining it. Um and I I thought I would draw the figure on, but I ended up just leaving um, negative space. It's kind of hard to explain, but all you see is a background in the shape of a figure. And so I kind of um, like playing around with that negative positive space and not exactly defining um, the figure too much because it, I think it allows people to kind of see themselves in the figure when there's not a face to attach to it too much. Right. Cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. All right, it's time for another song. Um, So I just found Madison McFerrin, and I'm pretty into her. And this is a song called Try. And you're listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. I know it's a fight. Try and listen
Right. Well, welcome back, everyone. Uh, I am Lynn Vartan. This is the Apex Hour. The song that you just heard was Try by the artist Madison McFerrin, who I'm completely obsessed with and just totally found out about. Um, so I'm really excited to know her work. And as always, if you're interested in the music that's played on the Apex Hour, there is a open Spotify playlist. Um, you can find that and many other things on our website, which is suu.edu slash Apex. If you're looking for the podcast, you can just click on the podcast tab and the Spotify playlist is also there. I am joined in the studio with studio with artist Aisha Lehman. Welcome back. Thank you so much. 
All right. We are talking about, we've talked about your art and your background and kind of how you came um, to uh, tackling some of the subject matters that you do, which is identity, um, particularly as it relates to race, but not just race, spirituality, um, place, all the different things, history, you know, and I'd love to just kind of open the conversation a little bit more to talk about um, you know, the, the power that we have as people to move the needle in some of these things, mm-hmm. you know, I think you've done the research and have studied the history and, and our, and our living life now. And so I wondered if you might comment on, you know, some of the things that you've observed, um, in your experiences that work really well, um, and could, could, really maybe look to a better future, um, a more inclusive, more um, open, you know, warm uh, in, in the way that we all regard each other future. And also I'd be curious of some of the things that you think don't work mm-hmm. and that you have found in your studies and experiences. Yeah, that's such a big question. And um, I don't know that I'm the expert to talk on it, but I definitely have been able to be in certain spaces where I've been able to see those kind of dynamics play out. And you've done the research also. Yeah. <laughs> so like you have this great depth of knowledge and experience. So mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> well, I think, I think you're really getting to is I think the more people read and know about a thing, the more they can have compassion for it, you know? So when we're talking about how to be more inclusive or how to have um, more anti-racist spaces and just um, – helping each other belong in our spaces. I think a lot of that is rooted in understanding our history, understanding um, current dynamics and how um, race continues to play out. So I think the spaces that I've been in that have been the most um, just influential and um, maybe the healthiest have been ones that are rooted in um, academia. I was um, a participant in the civil rights seminar um, at BYU. And that was an incredible community of students and several faculty that deeply cared about African-American history and how it affects um, BYU students to this day. And um, that was a really wonderful community where we could like learn together and then discuss together. So I think conversations can happen if we're willing to talk about um, facts and research and stories um, gain empathy from those things and then think about how that um, implicates each of us personally. So as a student yourself, how, uh, what advice do you have for maybe any, any student who could be listening and saying like, yeah, I want to, I want to engage in this way. I want to get more involved in these conversations and I want to be more present in these spaces. What advice do you have and, and for, for students of, of any race and ethnicity mm-hmm. and, and to, to approach these conversations. Yeah. I think, um, it's easy for someone like me who's in the humanities and the arts all the time where I can kind of engage with this, um, simply because it's my major. Um, but I do also recognize that other people are in, you know, the sciences or business schools or things like that. Um, and in that case, I feel like there's a lot of great clubs, Usually on campuses, I know that um, at BYU, I'm one of the officers for the Anti-Racism Club. Um, I'm sure SEU has similar things that are multicultural kind of things. And I think those are fantastic spaces to engage in. Also, um, 
I can't speak highly enough about like general classes and using your generals in certain subject matters that you genuinely want to learn more about. You know, if you have to do a humanities class, make it be about one of these subjects that you want to learn more about. Um, and we kind of alluded it to before before but um it's hard to find time to read as an undergraduate unless it's assigned for a class so i just really love listening to podcasts um watching documentaries just things that i can do while i'm traveling places or maybe while i'm doing more monotonous work or washing the dishes or things and that's a way i think that students can just be engaged with things um even if um it's not their major another thing that i think is really wonderful is being a research assistant for professors. Um, I think there's professors probably in every department that genuinely care about these issues and know how it can be applicable in their field of study. And so um, I know that there's certain um, maybe biology professors or um, professors in the school of business who care about these subject matters and know how they can be applied in that space. Um, I have a friend who is really interested, for example, in equity and um, just rights um, for black women in the healthcare system, for example, you know, so that's in the medical field, right? It's not in the humanities, but it's a way to engage with that subject matter. So I think um, finding professors that care about these things, that's a great way to be working with a professional that knows these things and learn how you can engage with it too. And are there any uh, trends or things that you've noticed that, that you're, that you think really, are not the right direction or that have been detrimental to your experience or that you could see to others' experiences? Um, oh, that's hard. I think I think the unfortunate thing is when someone just simply thinks that an issue doesn't apply to them, so they won't engage with it. And I think as long as people have an open mind and are willing to learn about it, then I think um, they're on the right page. I also think um, social media can be a really powerful tool, but sometimes it can be a little bit um, of a, just a complicated space to be in. And it's not always the most factual or the most well-informed space. So I think sometimes people have gotten scared of talking about race because it was talked about too much on their social media feed. Mm -hmm. And for those people, I would just say, you know, find sources that you can still engage with and don't just drop the subject matter entirely because maybe, um, you just needed to learn it from someone else. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you so much. <laughs> awesome. Well, I have one more song that I want to play. Uh, and this is an artist called Nye Palm, uh, N-A-I and Palm, P-A-L-M. And the song is Crossfire, So Into You. So we'll get one more song here, here on the Apex Hour. You're listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. Than a crossfire. 
Well, welcome back, everyone. That song was Crossfire or So Into You, both titles. And Naipalm is the artist, N-A-I-P-A-L-M. This is the Apex Hour, and you can find out more about us on our website, which is scu.edu slash apex. There's all of our past episodes in the podcast. There are all of our past videos from events, um, lots of great material there. So um, we are finishing up our conversation with artist Aisha. Layman, welcome back. Hi. 
Oh my goodness. We have flown by this hour talking about your work and um, all the different things that you've experienced and, um, you know, just everything that uh, about your subject matter and all these things. And, but I wanted to ask you one more, two more questions. One, what's next for you? Where can we follow you to next? Cause you're graduating. That's right. Yeah. Um, I just got accepted into um, a sociology PhD program at University of Illinois, Chicago, which I'm really excited about. Hopefully I'll still be able to make art, but it might have to be put on hold slightly during that experience. But yeah, we'll see what happens next. Oh my gosh. Well, that's amazing. And sh- let's share your website one more time, which is AishaLayman.com, uh, L-E-H-M-A-N-N. And your first name is spelled A-I-S-H-A. Okay. I said it right. I was trying to imagine it in my mind, um, but I got it right. And so you can check out where her work is. Um, and if you're in Cedar City right now for the next month, please definitely go to SUMA, our Southern Utah Museum of Art, and you can see some of Aisha's work in person. All right. It's time for our famous last question. Mm. Not famous, but just the last question I always ask, which is what's turning you on this week? And it can be anything. It could be a book or a magazine or a song or a movie or a TV show or a favorite brand of clothing or I don't know, an article that you read. It could be anything at all. So Aisha Lehman, what's turning you on this week? Um, okay. I made this Thai peanut soup earlier this week and it only took 30 minutes, which as a college student is pretty wild to have such a delicious meal. Oh my um, gosh. For so short. So it's on um the food blog Half Baked Harvest and it's just their her Thai peanut soup and you should make it. Oh my God, it sounds delicious. amazing. It's amazing. Wait, what is the blog again? Half Baked Harvest. Half Baked Harvest. All right, you heard it here. Well, <laughs> this has been great. Thank you. I've really enjoyed getting to know you and your work and I just wish you all the best of luck in grad school. Can't wait to have you back when your next exhibit ex- exhibition is hitting the big league. (laughs) Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. Come find us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for more conversations with the visiting guests at Southern Utah University and new music to discover for your next playlist. And in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out suu.edu slash apex. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.